Hello, Amazon sellers, and welcome to our Amazon Seller Happy Hour, sponsored by Riverbend Consulting, and I am Leslie Hensel, a co-founder at Riverbend, where we solve all of your most pressing, frustrating, and demanding Amazon problems, including everything from account suspensions to where the heck did my inventory go? So as you know, we love to have guests on our happy hour who can tell you how to run a better more efficient, more profitable Amazon business. And I have a brilliant guest with me here today. It is Emma Shermer-Tamir. She is the CEO and co-founder of Marketing by Emma. Hey, Emma. Hello, Leslie. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I am super excited. So Emma and I were talking about a little bit of marketing before the show because Emma gets to be here to help me debut our new frame that's around our 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 videos here. I'm super excited. We're so on brand. Look at us being all on brand here. And really that it kind of fits in with the topic that we're talking about today. Because as you all know, how your listings appear on Amazon is going to directly affect how much of your stuff that you sell. So Emma, let's just start with some thematic questions here in discussion because I think a lot of people on Amazon they get really excited about their private label product. It might be an excellent version of the product. And then they think like, if you stick it up there, they will come. <laughs> like, I'm just going to throw my listing up there and people are just going to come and buy the product. And I think they don't realize how things have changed over the last couple of years. So can you talk a little bit about the reason that it's important to have a really attractive listing on Amazon and the competition that's out there? Yeah, I think that so often you you hit the nail on the head with this because so often the Amazon listing is almost treated as an afterthought, like, oh, I'll just throw something up. Maybe I'll get to it later. And I actually think a lot of that comes from the fact that what makes somebody a really good Amazon seller oftentimes is being great at the analytical side. And so this creative piece might go into territory that they're less confident in. And so a lot of times when we're less confident in something, we, t we tend to kind of diminish the significance like, oh, it's fine. I can just, it'll be okay. People, people don't really read anyway. And you can tell yourself whatever story you want to justify that perspective. And it's really doing yourself a huge disservice because your listing is your pretty much only opportunity to communicate directly with your customers. And it's not just about getting them excited to buy. It's even from the very basic level of making sure that they clearly understand your product because pictures won't tell the whole story and reviews won't tell the whole story. So if there are specific details that somebody needs to know in order to really determine if your product is a great fit for them, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to find that information. The harder you make it, the more effort that people have to expend in order to find that, the more likely they're going to go to your competitors because people don't want to get stuck all day trying to make a simple purchase decision. They want to find the product that fits their needs and get on with their day. And so that's kind of on the most basic level why your listing is important. But then kind of in talking to how things have changed and why the listing has become even more important over 
the last few years, competition has gotten much fiercer. So it's really difficult to find any category that doesn't have pages upon pages of potential competitors out there all vying for the same customers and keywords. But also Amazon has recognized how important it is for their brand image for sellers to really be investing in creating brands that customers can rely on and trust. And your listing is one of the ways that you're able to demonstrate that through attention to detail, through showing what your values are and who you are. And a lot of times the product itself may not be that different from your competitors, but through how you portray yourself creatively, you're able to really differentiate yourself so that you give customers something to grab onto and make that decision to go with you over any of the other options that are out there. Well, one thing that I get excited about in talking about listing optimization. And so now I'm just going to show what a nerd I am that I find this super exciting. But, you know, a lot of people who are into Amazon, they see Amazon as almost semi-passive income, especially if you're FBA. Now, it's not passive income because you're still working it, but it can become for some people like a semi-passive stream of income. So to me, if you take the time and money to invest in a great listing, that is almost like a passive income investment. And I'll tell you why, y'all, because you can spend on PPC all freaking day long and it can go up and down your results and it's super expensive and you're always going to be fighting to get an edge. But if you'll really invest in having a superior listing that is better than the competition, then you are investing in something that is going to give you a return. So it's like one time, and I know you need to update. You need to update frequently to make it better, and and to adjust and to fix, you know, to test things. But as far as like that one time investment, you can really make an impact because the people who bother to have all the lifestyle images and add the video and have the right wording. You can look at national brands that have listings on Amazon that are garbage, that don't have any of that. You can compete with them because the algorithm loves you for it. They, the algorithm eats it up. Yeah. Well, and it's also, for me, when I see one of those large brands that has a poorly, well, let's just say neglected listing, uh, I even wonder, is this legitimate or is this a knockoff? And so that's for a national brand. So imagine the impression that you're giving to customers as an unknown brand if you have a similarly sort of neglected listing that whether it, you're not fully maximizing the real estate with your images and video and A-plus content or you just don't have that eye to detail and so there's some grammatical and spelling errors and weird phrasing, all of those things can really impact the how you're perceived as a reliable, trustworthy brand, or if you might be more of something that's just kind of trying to sell a cheap product to, to make a few bucks and then disappear. Yeah, you're right. It, it gives the impression of knockoff or like dollar store level product, um, you know, swap meat level product. It doesn't feel like, ooh, reliable brand I can count on. So Great question here for you, Emma, because I know y'all spend a lot of time on great copy and a lot of sellers will want to believe 
that what you write doesn't really matter. So I'd like you to talk a little bit and dispel that myth for me because it really does matter what the copy is on the listing. It does. I mean, you know, kind of going off of this analogy that you've given, uh, Leslie, or I guess it's not really an analogy, but just the ex uh, explanation that you provided between the difference for a really well-optimized listing or not, it's sort of like, imagine that your listing is your salesperson. And one salesperson that you could hire is someone who they were out all night, they got an hour of sleep, they roll out of bed, they smell like the bar, they throw on the crumpled clothes that are on the ground. They haven't shaved and, and like they're representing your, your company and, and your salesperson, or you can have someone who they went to bed at a reasonable hour. They got up early enough to, you know, have some coffee, maybe do a little bit of exercise. They put on a nice crisp, clean outfit. They're freshly shaven and like who is going to make a better impression? And it's all of those pieces together. So to make this assumption of nobody reads, that's a gross exaggeration. Now, are there some people that don't really read the listing? Of course. But it's also, there's a whole spectrum of things. And so you have people that maybe it's a, a, a purchase that's a little bit insignificant for them and they don't have as much knowledge or care about the specific qualities of the product. So maybe for them in that case, they're just going to base their decision off of a few pictures and the reviews and price. But then you have other products or other types of customers who really want to make sure that they're optimizing every single purchase that they make. They don't want to just buy the first thing that comes across across their screen. They want to buy the best thing for this. And so there's only so much that you can get from reading the reviews and looking at the pictures. The bottom line is that to understand a lot of things, you need text for that. And so really skillfully utilizing text in a way that people can enter into your listing, know exactly what your product is, understand how it fits in with whatever buying criteria that they have, that's the baseline. And then from there, if you're also able to use your text in a way that's going to present your brand identity in a way that will resonate with them, then that's going the extra mile to um, really forge a relationship that's more than just purely transactional about this one product. Now that's kind of like a more advanced level and, and not something that you necessarily have to do when you're first optimizing your listing. But that is something that I would encourage everybody to work towards as they continue to develop out both their customer avatars and really getting to know who their customers are and what their customers care about, as well as their own brand identity and how they fit into the whole category ecosystem that they live in. Well, you make such a great point with the customer avatar, customer profile, whatever you want to call it. Different people make buying decisions based on different things. And especially on Amazon where you don't get to answer their questions. Yes, there's the Q&A thing. But in reality, you're not there selling it to them. You're not in a store. You can't give them a brochure. The whole thing is what's on that page. That's what you're getting. And so if you have to realize some people are visual learners. Uh, some people are going to do better watching the video. Some people just want to see the pretty pictures. Some people only care about the reviews, even though we all know that those are questionable. And some people want to read every single word of copy because that's how they process. I also love what you said about how 
there are casual buyers of your product and not so casual buyers of your product. So you have to find that balance so you can sell to both of them. You can't just pick one because this is Amazon. It's a one size fits all page. They they're all getting the same page no matter how they make their buying decision. Yeah. Right. If it's your own website, then it's totally different and you can optimize for all those different types of, you know, customers and and create funnels for each of them, but on Amazon you have one shot. And so that's where it's also really helpful to think about how all of the pieces of your Amazon listing can kind of fit together and reinforce each other and make sure that no matter who, what kind of buyer it is that's looking at your product page, that they're going to be excited and find that information they need. So like an example of that would be not just relying on your bullets, for example, to present all of the important information, but thinking about how you can use your product images to also uh, present some of the really important details and benefits of your product so that even those visual shoppers are getting that need to know information in a way that's more accessible and natural for them to, to be able to receive it. So here's a great debate point for someone. And I know you have a very strong copywriting background personally. Um, So keywords or copy which one matters more? Which one do you need to focus on? Because this is kind of going along the same lines. Like, how are you getting the right people in and then getting them to pay attention? Yeah, it's uh, it's both. It's not an either or, but it's both in the way of, I like to think of your keywords as your the skeleton for your listing. And so they're providing that necessary support and structure but they shouldn't be seen. If you see a bone on a living person, that's a problem. There's an issue and it's going to kind of take all of the attention away from everything else and you're going to be distracted. That might be somewhat of grotesque imagery, but the same thing should be true for the keywords, which is that the keywords need to be there, but they shouldn't be overtly visible to the customer. They should fit really seamlessly into the copy and they shouldn't ever take away from the messaging that you're trying to present or to call the shots too much. Because one of the challenges that you'll run into when you're trying to figure out how do I work with these keywords is, you know, so you you do your keyword research and you are analyzing the list that you have because of course, well, maybe not of course, it's really important. You don't just run the keyword research and then take the highest search volume keywords and call it a day. You really want to take the time to go through that and to analyze it in a way that you're making sure that all of the keywords there are highly relevant to your product and and really even thinking about, okay, if someone is typing in this keyword into Amazon, would they want to buy a product like mine? And sometimes you'll have these keywords that are very general that could have multiple different directions they're going into. So an example is something like eye mask. So an eye mask, there could be two main types of products, kind of like subcategories of products that eye mask could be. So one is an eye mask that you put on over your eyeballs when you're in a brightly lit room or traveling and want to get some sleep. That's one type of eye mask. But then you also have eye masks that are that you put underneath your eyes that can help with puffiness or wrinkles or 
dehydration or any number of other skin related things. So that's a, a skincare type of product. And if somebody's typing in eye mask, you don't necessarily know how many people are wanting a sleeping mask versus a cosmetic eye mask. And so while that keyword could be valuable to you, going and finding a slightly longer tail keyword that includes eye mask, but includes a modifier, or if that's too much of like a English, uh, English class language, what I mean by modifier is just some sort of additional description that makes it more specific to the type of mask that you're selling, then you'll be able to still get the impact of that eye mask word, but make sure that you're focusing on a word that's really specific to the type of product that you're targeting. So that if it is an under eye mask, that maybe you say, um, reuse, well, even reusable eye mask, um, anti-aging eye mask, for example, would be more likely to uh, be the type of keyword that somebody searching for a cosmetic eye mask would want to find. So you want to be thinking about all of those things when you're creating your, your list of keywords to be working with. And then you want to look at your shortened list and consider what are the keywords that I can really fit well into my copy. So some of those you're going to see, they might be really attractive phrases, but they're kind of a jumble of words and there's really no way of making them make sense in a sentence. And so those, it's probably better to save for the back end. But then you have the ones that, okay, now you have an even shorter list of all the keywords that you can put into the front end of your listing. But the challenge that you're going to run into with those is a lot of them are going to have the same root keyword where, you know, like if it is eye mask, it'll be anti-aging eye mask, hydrating eye mask, rejuvenating eye mask, firming eye mask. And like, you don't want just like eye mask, eye mask, eye mask, eye mask. That's a little, um, it just is, is awkward and off-putting to a customer, but it's also a quick way to make your bullets way too long or your title really repetitive. And so you need to be thoughtful about how you're using keywords in a way that's not just going to look as though you've tried to shove in as many keywords as possible into the listing to the point where a customer can't easily find the information they need and navigate your listing so they can use it as a tool to make a purchasing decision. I think a lot of times that comes across looking scammy also. It has a scammy feeling to it. And so what you said earlier about it's like if a bone is showing on a person, like you've just got this bone sticking out of your neck or something, you know, you've broken it. It's just, and you're ignoring it. So I'm going to give everyone a, a, a story to think about the next time that you're trying to write like your title or your keywords and you're trying to get keywords in there, but not too many so that you don't have like some, something protruding out of your face. That's not supposed to be today. I had this real story y'all. Today, I had a client message me um, that they were having difficulty changing their title on their listing, and they didn't really understand why Amazon was rejecting the title. So the reason it was being rejected actually had to do with other stuff on the that the brand name wasn't listing m matching the listing. But thank God that it got aired out so that they could show me this title and I could be like, why are you doing this? Because this was for an adult product. 
So in our business, y'all, sometimes there are embarrassing things you have to work on with clients. I'm sure Emma's been there too. Um, not all products are comfortable products to talk about. It was an adult product. And in the title, there were like 12 synonyms for this adult product. <laughs> and so when you read it, like with each word, you just got more uncomfortable and wanted to shrink more into your chair. And I'm telling you, even if you were a consumer of this adult product who wanted to buy it, the listing would have made you uncomfortable. Like seriously, this, it, this wasn't some far out crazy thing to buy. It was a normal thing to buy. But as a buyer, you would have become uncomfortable reading that title because it was like someone was slapping you in the face with what you were buying. So the next time that you're like trying to stuff some keywords into your listing, I want you to pretend that it, your keywords that you're shoving in there are like these adult terms and see if it makes you embarrassed and uncomfortable or you wouldn't want to buy the product. And that will be your key. that <laughs> you've, you've gone too far. It was so bad, but, but people do it with things like an eye mask. And I think it looks scammy and it feels uncomfortable the same way. It's like, are you trying to convince me this is really an eye mask? And it's not, I mean, what is this? So it does get odd when people go overboard with that. So yeah. Anyway, that's my fun, uh, weird story. Of the day. Yeah. I, no, I love that. And I think, you know, it points to the fact that, when you're staring like this all day at your own products and your own business, sometimes you lose sight of the customer experience and kind of the bigger picture and and how it actually exists in the world. And so something that's really helpful to do is also to just put on your customer hat you know, go to Amazon, search for some of those keywords that you're going to be targeting and just kind of imagine yourself, okay, if I was a customer, you know, how, what would I be considering when I'm looking at this page full of results and what catches my eye and what draws me in and what makes me want to take my time to click into this listing versus what's kind of turning me off. And sometimes you might not be able to fully articulate the good or the bad, because that is a language that you kind of learn with practice. But even just beginning to understand what has those, what creates those different kind of reactions. So whether you're creating your own listing or somebody on your team is, or you're hiring somebody else to do it, even if you can't say, you know, I want this because of X, Y, and Z, you can show an example and, and give a little bit of context so that you can make sure that you're on the same page with whoever it is that you're working with. And I think in general, we don't really spend enough time just being curious about the marketing that we're exposed to all the time. So one of the things that I do and that I encourage all of my team to do is really to just look with wide eyes at all of the marketing that you're that you're being exposed to. So if you're scrolling through Amazon, didn't mean to say Amazon. If you're scrolling through Instagram, and an ad makes you stop, why are you stopping on that ad? Like, what is it about that ad that's catching your attention enough to make you want to pause and 
and look at it or maybe even take that next step and, and click into it. And the more that you can become aware of your own behaviors, the better you'll be able to be at also understanding how you might be able to apply some of those different techniques and principles with your own um, marketing efforts. But it's really hard to do that if you're if you haven't spent that time developing that skill set of even just observation um, of, uh, you know, of what, of what works. Cause e even though we're all different as humans, psychologically, we have very similar things that cause us to operate in different kinds of ways. And so the underlying principles are largely the same, even if they look different, depending on whether it's being marketed to a, 15-year-old girl or a 60-year-old man. Good points. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like how when my kid writes a paper and he wants me to read it for him and I find terrible logical errors in the first two paragraphs and I tell him, go back to your room and read it out loud to yourself. You know, that's kind of what you're talking about. The self-awareness yeah. of I'm going to look at other listings. I'm going to see what makes me want to buy. I'm going to look at other images, see what makes me want to buy. I'm going to look at my own work and read it as another person. So like read it out loud to myself as another person and see if, if I still want to buy the product after I do that, because it's too easy to get caught up in my personal demographic, which, you know, I'm a universe of one and, and think that everyone else wants to buy based on what I want to see. Right. Yeah. When, yeah. When someone else isn't a, a mom business owner, you know, buying products because they need convenience. Someone else is looking for best value or, you know, some completely different idea. Yeah. I love, I love that advice of reading it out loud. That is one of my most tried and true techniques for uh, everything from training new writers to even just for myself and trying to work through a tricky point. There's something about um, when you're reading in your own head, you'll naturally make a lot of assumptions and also correct a lot of errors without even being aware of it. But because reading out loud makes you slow down, you can hear and find all of those places where you might be going down the wrong path. I've even seen um, a technique where you can put your writing in a harder to read font and it will do a similar thing. So if it really embarrasses you to read out loud, you can put it in like a lighter, hard to read color and maybe some kind of like weird, funky font that still makes you put that extra bit of effort into, um, into reading it, but does, you know, then you don't have to listen to yourself talk out loud, which I know is cringy for, <laughs> for some people. <laughs> That's a great idea. I've never heard that before. I'm going to have to try that because I, I do the reading out loud, especially when I've written something kind of technical or hard to understand. And I'm afraid my audience won't understand it. And so I read it out loud and you're right. Suddenly I'm like, well, that sentence was terrible. That made, you know, but when I read it in my head, it made sense. But when I read it out loud, it's like, what am I trying to say exactly? But I, I like the idea of, I mean, I'm not going to put it in wingdings, obviously, but if I can right. put it in some kind of really horrible font that might do the same thing, I love that idea. I'm going to totally try because I do lots and lots of writing. So I've got to try that. Okay. So last big topic here, 
is talking about building brand because I think there's been a tremendous shift for sellers on Amazon, private label sellers the last two years. They are realizing because of marketplace realities, if you want to be long-term and competitive, you really have to build a brand, not just build some products. So talk to me some about how a listing and having it optimized and having great content can help you build your brand overall. Yeah. Brand is one of those words that I think can be kind of scary to a lot of people, especially if you're just kind of dipping your toes into that universe. It's kind of like, whoa, but how could I ever be, you know, like Apple or Nike or any of these iconic brands? And of course, those are fantastic examples, but Apple and Nike were not what we know of either of those two brands today, what they were when they started, however many years ago when each of them started. And so everybody has to start somewhere. But I think one of the things that's really helpful to consider when you're talking and thinking about brand is that it's happening one way or the other. Your brand is really the relationship that you have with the world and with everybody that you're engaging with. And so whether you're intentional about it or not, you're giving people a message of who you are, what your values are, um, what you care about, and, and what kind of um, entity you want to be in the world. And so not to get too philosophical, like what does that mean on a more practical level? It can even mean something like, let's say your listing says that you care about sustainability. And so that's a, a big thing that you're writing about. However, your product is arriving and it's in really bulky packaging and it's it's in plastic and then it's in you know, like a big cardboard box and none of it's recyclable and there's all this extra fluff there, that's actually contradicting what you're saying as being important by saying, well, we care about sustainability, but maybe we're just kind of saying that to, to get your money and not necessarily that that's something that we'd be worth making concessions on and not having as beautiful of packaging because we want to make sure that we're having as minimal of an impact as possible when it comes to both the size of the package that's being shipped, but also the amount of waste that's being created by the packaging itself. And so those are the types of places that you can be thinking about branding. But I, I personally think one of the best places to get started is in, in the same way that you might have heard of customer avatars. Um, I can't remember the term that you used, Leslie. Um, profiles. Another, profiles. So doing that same thing with your own brand. So building out your brand persona as if it was a person. So if your brand was a person, what kind of clothing would it wear? What, what kind of activities would it do for fun? What shows what it watch on TV, what's its favorite kind of cookie. I mean, those types of things seem sort of silly, but in the same way when we were talking about not always having the vocabulary to explain why a piece of marketing uh, either resonates with you or repels you, those types of, um, of characteristics can help give substance to something that can feel really kind of amorphic and and confusing and hard to to put um, to put words around. So if you say, "Oh, our brand is funny but still serious about the like X, Y, and Z," 
that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Whereas if you say our brand's favorite show is Seinfeld, they it wears a you know a, a sweater vest and a and a bow tie and has like a handlebar mustache, like you're starting to get a really clear concept of who this brand is. And then that's going to inform what kind of colors should you use in your in your design and what kind of vocabulary and style of writing should you use in your copy and how do you want to engage with your customers when they have a problem and so it will start to fill in some of those pieces so that no matter what point a customer is engaging with your brand they're going to get a really unified experience of who this brand is. Um, and, and so when you do that effectively, you're able to really appeal to the people that are going to be excited by that. And that's where you're able to forge a, a deeper relationship that's more than just, oh, I bought this product because it was the cheapest on Amazon or had the most reviews or I don't know, it's great, but I don't even remember the name. Instead, it becomes something that you're excited by them and you want to see what else they're selling and you want to tell your friends about it. And it, it's a brand that you feel excited about uh, buying from and sharing about. I have never thought about the idea of personifying in, in-house personifying a brand. I find this idea fascinating. I th- I'm thinking about like when you talked about the sustainability thing. So like it's a granola mom. I'm sure you've heard the term, you know, someone's very crunchy, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like the granola mom who makes all her kids baby food and only walks places if it's less than a mile. And so she's super into it and she buys all of her clothes at the you know, the resale shop because she doesn't like the idea of clothing waste, which there's tons of it. I mean, I love this concept because I can see how if you built it out in your head as a person, even if it's only in your head, if you're the person doing the listing and then you say with Sarah, my granola mom like this or not, (laughs) right? Exactly. Like, would she go with this or would she be like, girl, you missed it. Right. (laughs) Right. And then you have, it's like, you're taught like I love that example because there's such a spectrum of people that care about sustainability. And so your granola mom, she's on the far end of the spectrum. Like she's zero or minimal waste. You know, she doesn't want anything with plastic. And then you might have somebody that's maybe more in the middle where like they like the idea of being sustainable, but for them, it's something that's maybe more of like they can just feel a little bit better about making that purchase, but they're not willing to give up on certain conveniences and other things. And so you probably would even want to talk about sustainability differently if you're engaging with granola mom versus, you know, um, millennial consumerist. I don't know. That's the responsible nerd or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But if you can figure out these kinds of avatar customers but also then build one for your brand and see if Chet and Sarah can get along and if not you probably need to change exactly exactly (laughs) oh I love this idea I love it because also because y'all it's hard to build out customer avatars customer profiles it's really hard especially if you are on Amazon 
you don't really, it's really hard to find customers to talk to. Um, it's hard to figure out who's really buying your product and putting real demographics to it, unless you are doing like DSP ads, you're not getting that kind of feedback. You're doing a lot of guessing and, and you win a lot by testing. And a lot of these things are things that you could actually test. You could change this profile and test and see what your results are. And I'm a big fan of testing. Um, but I, I, it kind of goes back to the whole theme we hear all the time from Amazon sellers. Selling on Amazon can be a lonely business and it can be hard because you're kind of working in a vacuum and trying to figure out who cares and who wants to buy your stuff and what will make them come back and all that good stuff. So, uh, uh, gosh, anything that personifies it and makes it more fun. I could have a lot of fun with this, building out different parts of a listing and testing based on different, like, who my product is. This is awesome. What a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you'll have to let me know how, how it goes and if it makes the experience more fun. Because I, I do think the other thing is like, especially if you're, even if you're an experienced writer, staring at a blank page is never easy. And it's only more challenging if it's not something that you're used to doing on a regular basis. And so there's a lot of kind of anxiety that can come along with that. Like, I don't know really like where to start and I don't know how to figure out what's important and what's not. And so being able to almost imagine a conversation takes a, away a little bit of, of that um, pressure on things because it really is a conversation, even if it's just somebody reading it. You know, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation about how you, know, you can't, it's not that you can be there and ask the questions and all of that stuff, but a really effective listing anticipates those questions and kind of understands the thought process that a customer is going through. And so even though they're not having a true dialogue, that it's a sort of facilitating something similar where the listing is providing a piece of information and then the customer is kind of processing that and relating it to the decision that they have to make and what their needs are for whatever this particular uh, product is and all of that. And then it just progresses forward and forward until it's not, okay, well, should I choose this one or this one or this one? And you have 10 tabs open and they all look the same and you're trying, you know, you need to like create a table to say, okay, well, this one has this and this one has this. And that's one of the things that I find to be most challenging and frustrating as a, a customer on Amazon is it is so difficult to compare products together, particularly when the pro the product owners haven't taken the time to put together an effective listing. Whereas when I come to a listing and it clearly spells out what the product is, helps me understand why this product is so great, then I'm not forced to kind of do all of this logical manipulation of, of information to make a decision. And I can just go ahead, buy this product, feel good about it and get on with my day. Agreed. Well, you've given us so much information, Emma, and so much to think about. This has been really fun. I love to talk to creative people and people who write because I always end up with better ideas for myself, too, as well as for our audience of how I can write better and come up with good ideas. And 
like you said, have that conversation in your head with that customer, whoever you're trying to reach. So if someone wants to talk to you about building their brand on Amazon through better listings, how can they reach you? Uh, our website, marketingbyemma.com, has all of the contact details that you could want. So whether you prefer to fill out a contact form or uh, prefer email or phone, it's all it's all there for the taking. And we also offer a free listing analysis. So if all of this either feels totally overwhelming to you or you're like, I think I'm doing all of this right and you just want some reassurance, we're always happy to take a look at your listing and just give you some feedback based on our observations. So if you just go to our website, marketingbyemma.com slash free analysis, there's a short form to fill out and we're, we're glad to take a look. That is great because, um, yeah, a, another part of the difficulty of Amazon is that none of us can be an expert at all the things. And sometimes you really do just need someone to either pat you on the head and say, actually, this is pretty awesome or say, ah, you're missing these things. Let us help you out. So take advantage of the free advice and the nudges and the help when you can get it. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Emma, for joining us. So everyone out there, I really appreciate you watching the Amazon Seller Happy Hour. Please be sure and follow and like and connect and all those things because we have fresh content almost every week. Next week is very exciting because we have Ask Us Anything, which is Kelly Johnston, our ex-Amazonian extraordinaire. And we will also be sending out an email this week to our database O people asking you for your ask us anything happy hour questions. But if you have some of those and you're not on our email list, just drop them here in the comments so that Kelly and I have a lot of awesome questions to answer next week. And as always, everyone, happy selling. Bye. Thank you.